You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno, sending live from Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, to be honest, it's not a happy Friday for your portfolios out there unless that you are short the markets. Um, we've seen a lot of turbulence in markets after another high inflation print from the US. And to debate, to debate that exact inflation print, I'm joined by Peter Bookwar, the Chief Investment Officer of, of uh, Bleakley Advisory Group today. Welcome to the show, Peter, and happy Friday. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Well, it was another shocker of an inflation report. Um, we had a print of 8.6% if we look at the headline figure. Please unpack this shocking inflation figure for us. And then and the query came in at 6. The estimate was yeah. 0.9. So what's interesting about the headline number at 8.6 relative to the, uh, the estimate, this is the third month in a row with an 8 handle. And the comparison was tough. The The May 2021 year-over-year -year increase in headline CPI was 5%. So going up against that, that comparison, we st we're still able to print 8.6, yeah, even though the core rate uh, did moderate month over month and came in, like I said, a, a tenth above. Now, within the, the components, obviously, energy and food are driving the headline, uh, but we're also seeing an undercounting in the rent calculation, which implies that uh, if it were to more accurately measure uh, the rental increases in the U.S., both new leases and also the rollover of uh, an existing tenant's lease, uh, you're probably talking 10% inflation. The other thing that, that we have to keep our eye on, because obviously we're going to look what's going to happen over the coming quarters rather than what already happened in May, is on the good side, especially with uh, the comments that we got from a bunch of retailers about the excessive inventories they have. In, in some lines of, 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 of their products, uh, the goods that everyone loaded up on over the last couple of years. So on a rate of change basis, core goods prices, which is about 20% of CPI, uh, is, is actually moderating, like I said, on a rate of change basis, even though those prices are still uh, very elevated. So the question is, is how that uh, rolls out over the next couple of months as these discounts uh, take in uh, effect but then how much of is it offset by increases in other things uh, on the good side and also the continued uh, acceleration in uh, services inflation x-energy. 
Yeah, we briefly spoke about this rent of shelter component before going on air. Uh, and it seems to me as if there is some kind of a lack effect from the real world and into the uh, inflation index when it comes to shelter costs. Please take us through your thinking of uh, how this component will develop over the coming quarters. So it is beginning to catch up. Uh, the mm. owner's equivalent rent and rent of primary residence did show a six-tenth month-over-month increase. I think it was the second month in a row. So those monthly gains that were three-tenths, four-tenths, five-tenths, now has gotten to six-tenths. So obviously you annualize that, and you're talking now year-over-year uh, year up to seven. Now year-over-year, year, you're still in the mid-fives, so it still has more catching up to do, but it, at least we're, we're on that right track. I mean, the interesting thing about the rent component, and it's obviously the BLS's way of, of capturing uh, the housing component of, of inflation, uh, rents, even if the housing market moderates from here, uh, you can still see this persistent increases in rents because it's, it's too expensive to buy a home, both on the purchase side uh, in terms of price and certainly on the, the, the funding side in terms of mortgage rates. So there's still going to be this rather persistent demand for renting and uh, keeping those increases going uh, further higher. Uh, of course, also you having the shift in spending from a lot of the goods that where some are going to get marked down in price and an acceleration in the prices of services like airlines, hotels, and, uh, and, and restaurants. Yeah. And let's remind the audience that the shelter component of the inflation index makes up around a third of the overall index and 40% if you look at the core index. So it is an important component for the Federal Reserve by the end of the day. I know that they track the PCE price index, and you have a point to make in terms of the housing costs related to uh, to the PCE price index. Right. So in the PCE uh, methodology, their rent, their uh, housing component, their shelter slash rental component is half the percent of, uh, of the percentage of CPI. So it dramatically undercounts that. I think at a level that is below what the average renter spends on rent relative to their income. So it's undercounting housing, again, not just against CPI, but, un but against reality. And, it over and, and, and its biggest component, PCE, is healthcare at about double the percent that CPI is in. And also the difference between the healthcare methodologies in CPI and PCE is CPI is actually measuring out-of-pocket expenses, where PCE's healthcare component is dominated by government price-fixed Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates. So that's why while PCE sort of turns over its basket more often, I think that outsized uh, contribution from those reimbursement rates with healthcare uh, sort of artificially suppresses it. And it is why it always has a, uh, a deficit relative to CPI on a month-over-month, month, uh, on a month-to-month -month basis. Yeah, very good points, and thanks for that explanation. If we look at the market reaction to this inflation report, we have the front end of the dollar yield curve up by almost 25 basis points, as far as I'm concerned by now. We have the uh, dollar back in the driver's seat in, in the FX market, and we have equities down as a consequence of this report. What do you make um, of the repercussions for, for markets ahead of the interest rate meeting at the Federal Reserve next week after this report? Well, the, and as you mentioned, at least the change in, in uh, treasuries on the, on the short end 
is that we brought back uh, 100% chance in terms of pricing of another 50 basis point Fed increase in September. Uh, just within the past week or two, that's sort of moderated to about 75 to 80%. Uh, and then also now in the July meeting, the market is now beginning to price in some odds that the Fed goes 75. So I think that's why you have this, this outside, outsized response in the two-year. Now, the 10-year initially rallied because you had a like, curve flattening right after the number hit as people priced in that 50 basis points in September. But then the whole yield curve uh, fell apart. Well, I'm sorry, the yield curve continued to flatten, but the long end fell apart too, and we saw rates go up there as well. Uh, but also that came in the context of another crappy day in European bonds where you've seen a rather sharp increase in rates there. And, and one thing that I've argued for a while is, you know, I, I hear too many people that are trying to predict where the long end uh, of the Fed yield curve, uh, of the Treasury curve will go just based on their growth and inflation analysis in the U.S. But if you're not paying attention to what's going on in European bonds, in the JGB market with, with growing pressure on the Bank of Japan and, and also in Australia with, with, with the RBA bungling their uh, monetary policy. You know, we're all in this bond boat together, essentially. And mm. people have to scratch their head and say, well, the U.S. 10 years at 315, just as we were all talking about the U.S. economy and the global economy going into recession. And yes, the inflation stats being high are an influence there. But um, uh, again, I will argue that you know the air is coming out of this this global bond bubble, and um, and, I, and I think that is is also a major driving force here in where rates are going. The European Central Bank presented its uh, latest press release and press conference yesterday, um, being a trigger for some of the moves that you mentioned in the European bond market as well. And I think you're absolutely right to look at bond markets on a global scale, because currently it seems as if central banks are moving in tandem in the same direction towards tighter policies. Um, I know that you've been talking a, a lot about the word fragmentation when it comes to the Eurozone and the uh, uh, monetary policy of the European Central Bank. Uh, what do you make of that word fragmentation? And please also uh, enlighten our audience uh, on, on what you mean with that word. So I'm also going to tie that in with, with QE. You know, QE in Japan, mm. which sort of was the, the, the author of it on, on, the, on a grand scale, was, okay, let's suppress interest rates to encourage people to borrow. And then Ben Bernanke said, hey, that's such a great idea. Let's try it here. Now, part of that also was we need to uh, buy a lot of mortgage-backed securities in late 2008 to, uh, to save the banking system. But the ECB sort of took a, a different angle on their QE. Their QE was really more in response in 2011 was when the... Uh, budgetary concerns and uh, started to really uh, really show itself in the periphery countries like Italy, Spain, Portugal, and mm. obviously Greece, where Greece basically basically went bankrupt and with the help of their, their lenders were able to term out their debt over 50 years uh, plus. So the ECB QE was more of a whatever it takes July 2, 2012 Mario Draghi approach to we need to salvage the eurozone, and we are going to directly lower these bond yields that got to five, six, seven percent. In then we're over indebted countries now even further 
overly indebted countries. Then that QE, so that QE really started out as financing government debts and deficits and budget deficits. And then Mario Draghi said, okay, well, we'll, we'll continue on because we're, we're worried about not achieving our 2% inflation target. And then, of course, he went negative. So here we are today. You know, price stability is supposed to be their, their sole mandate. But as I said, what we've learned over the past 10 years is actually it's their number two mandate, well down below their mandate of financing uh, the debts and deficits of these peripheral countries. And the fragmentation part is in response to Christine Lagarde, who's needs to satisfy the Germans and some other hawks on the committee to say, yeah, we're going to deal with inflation, but then freaked out about what happens if we have another 2011 problem in Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, in response to ending QE and getting out of negative interest rates. So by saying she's focused on the fragmentation is basically the Italian bond spread to the German tenure. And I say the Italian BTP yield because Italy is the most over-indebted country in the Eurozone, uh, certainly on an absolute basis, but, and I'm putting aside Greece, again, because Greece has termed out yeah. a lot of their debt, so I'm putting Greece aside, but Italy's debt-to-GDP ratio of 150%, which is above where it was just a couple of years ago. So that spread has widened out to the, the biggest uh, spread since May 2020 at about 225 basis points. Now, it did get above 500 in 2011, so you know, there's still a ways to go if you want to look at it that way. But she's worried about that spread blowing out. Uh, but then you wonder, okay, well, if you're ending QE, well, how are you going to prevent this fragmentation? That means you're going to reintroduce QE, or you're going to use the, the maturing bonds to focus more on, on the periphery countries. I mean, they're, they're, they're in such a mess. Uh, mm that this inflation story has has created for them that um, I don't even know if they know what they're doing at this point. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> I think that's a fair description. I, I, I tweeted yesterday uh, that it was the most bipolar um, press release that I've ever read from a central bank because. They initially tell uh, the audience that they will do whatever it takes to bring inflation back to 2%. That is the first sentence. And then they go on rambling about uh, having to step into bond markets if spreads become too wide between uh, Italian and, and German bonds, for example. Uh, so it is that. They're still going to yeah. QE for another three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, they won't end it until 1st of July, uh, which is almost amusing given that we have inflation running at above 16% in annualized terms if you look at the past three months in the right. Eurozone. Um, one of the key culprits behind the inflation pressure, both in Europe but also in the uh, US, is energy. Uh, and um, I want to touch a bit upon that topic because it seems to me as if 
energy prices is the focal point for the White House as well now. Um, what do you make of the response that the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank will have to to make to to, to these uh, rising energy prices? Well, it, it's it's so interesting because up until a couple of years ago, or up until a year ago, all these central banks have wanted was higher prices mm. to somehow equate to 2%. And when you think about in, in an annual, and I'm going to get to oil in a second, an average annual increase of inflation at 2%. That means that because we have some prices that go down every year, the price of a TV set is going to go down every year. The price of a laptop is going to go down every single year. That means you need other prices to go up to average out that too. But any central banker will say, yeah, we want 2%, but we just don't want oil prices to go up which is obviously inherently contradictory. So now that we have oil prices going up, in, in, in addition to oil, uh, it, it obviously creates this problem. Now, it also creates a problem because it heavily impacts psychology. I mean, when you think about what is the most in-your-face daily reminder of prices, it's, it's, it's what a gallon of gasoline, at least in the U.S. and mm. you know, how you guys denominate it in Europe, of, of gasoline because a driver passes it every single day. It's like the stock market. It's got its scoreboard every day and a gas station has its scoreboard itself. And that's what people see every single day. So that's what they start to see. That then obviously directly impacts their budget, but also impacts their, their, their psychology. And when you think about monetary policy, monetary policy is solely meant to influence the demand side. Now, you can argue a couple of things. It, through cheap money, it basically financed the U.S. shale industry. So it is what enabled the U.S. shale industry, where the U.S. oil production um, gets to 13 million barrels a day because all you needed was land in a drill bit and somebody financed you. That was done through cheap money. So again, so while Monetary policy influences the demand through encouraging people to borrow. It also indirectly influences the supply side. So mm -hmm. now you're in a situation where, okay, nothing is going to increase the supply side of oil at this point for a variety of, of ESG reasons and regulatory reasons and lack of pipeline reasons and, uh, and so on. Uh, so what is then central banks going to do, try to destroy the demand side? I think that, that it's that it's something that's impossible to control. And, and, and I think people should understand that we are, we are not just questioning what's, what are these central banks going to do next. We should be questioning their entire orthodoxy of trying to manipulate interest rates to get to a desired level of inflation. If there's one thing that life teaches us is that it's very complicated. Human nature is very complicated. And what central banks have tried to do is treat us all like we're a video game, where if they press the right buttons on the computer, we're going to do certain things and get to their intended ended results. Well, life doesn't work that way. And I think that they're learning this firsthand, that you can control things up to a point, and then once you lose control, well, then sort of things break loose. And it's really difficult to bring that back into their fold.
Yeah, and ultimately, when energy inflation is running wild, as it is currently, it becomes a political topic. Uh, and central bankers are, in my humble opinion, by the end of the day, politicians. So they will have to react to this. I wanted to play a clip for you, uh, Peter, uh, from a conversation between Carl Bass and Will Bandlow, the founder and CEO of Quantum Energy Partners, from a discussion on the Real Vision platform uh, earlier this week um, around this energy inflation debate. So, so have a listen here. Everything that the average American uses is up anywhere from 50, 60% to a couple of hundred percent. Yeah, we're kind of- we're Over kind the last of couple the, of years. You're right. We're, we're kind of in the perfect storm. We had, we had the disease that emanated out of China that took right. over the world, COVID, and our response from our central bank and the central banks of the world was to flood the mm -hmm. world with, with, with money. Right. We printed 40% more money than was in existence before COVID. And um, so we had a we had a monetary. I'm a monetarist at heart, mm -hmm. so we had a monetary inflation. But then now that's being coupled with a thoughtless or a lack of any kind of true energy transition policy. Right. And seven years of underinvestment or eight years of underinvestment now uh, is leading us to a place where all of a sudden we're getting to we're getting above Arab Spring prices. Mm -hmm. Or, and we haven't even seen next year's food costs yet, right? right? Uh, the fertilizer prices have only doubled and tripled in the last 12 months. So next year's crop, it's going to be really expensive. Yes. And so there's this moment in time where the world's going to have a national security problem because of one, too much money printing, but two, no energy policy. Right. One other thing on food, and don't forget, Ukraine was a huge exporter of a number of different foods, right? They're one of the largest wheat producers and exporters in the world. So is Russia, by the way. Yep. Um, so you, there's just a whole nother, you look at the supply that's being taken off the market, and that's going to, I think, even further, you know, exacerbate the issue of food You're prices. You're right. I mean, we Yeah, energy inflation is certainly the hot topic. And as mentioned in the clip here, there is also a direct link between energy prices and food prices, uh, which we basically experience across the board in, in Europe and the US now. Uh, Peter, may it, may it be the um, stickiest part of inflation by the end of the day in this kind of scenario, both food and energy prices, will it be tricky to get them down again? Well, it'll be much more difficult to get energy prices down because of projects, investment projects are, are so, have such long lead times, mm. especially deep water. It, uh, you know, you got to have a, a 10 year plus time horizon if you're going to make an investment in, in deep water. Uh, shale, of course, the economics of that has changed, but these are multi-year projects. The thing about agriculture is you have a better chance Of, of sort of curing the problem on the supply side. The demand side with agriculture is pretty consistent. You know, as long as, as, as the global population increases and as long as you have just a growing middle class around the world, the demand for food is just going to go up every single year. It's always the supply side that really determines on the margin where agricultural prices go, food prices go. Now, in the U.S., we have one planting season in the spring, and you have your harvest in the fall. So if there's a bad season, that leads to a rise in prices of corn, wheat, soybeans. There's always the opportunity the following year to have a better harvest. The problem right now is 
is the rise of the input cost to that farmer that is going to lead to a multi-year time frame of higher prices. So let's take fertilizer prices, for example, which are up, as you know, Kyle pointed out, double and triple from what they were. So if I'm a farmer, each season I have the decision of, number one, do I want to plant fertilizer, which I should because it's, it helps the nutrients help get a better yield. Uh, but then how much do I? relative, you know, when I, when I try to calculate the costs relative to my projected revenue. But I can wait a year and say, you know what, I planted last year for corn, I'm going to hold off this year just because it's too expensive. Well, that may save me money next year, but that means you're almost locking yourself in to a lower yield in the following year because you didn't put in those nutrients every year. So I think that, so farmers are reaching a point, and, and I owned the fertilizer stocks for the last couple of years uh, and just sold them a month ago because I was becoming a, uh, a bit worried about what the demand destruction possibilities were and where farmers may say, you know, let me delay using them this year or just use less. And, and because on one hand, farmers are benefiting from higher crop prices, but these input costs, and I even mentioned oil, uh, gasoline to, and diesel because obviously these tractors and combines and planters run on run on diesel that their their profit margins are getting squeezed so i think we are seeing some signs of demand destruction of fertilizer but then that means that next year we're going to have higher crop prices because like i said not enough fertilizers being used this year then of course you're going to throw in uh ukraine and belarus and uh and russia and the the lack of of access to uh, full planting there, uh, obviously, in, particularly in Ukraine, and their inability to ship out of the Black Sea and uh, and, and so on. So uh, net result is prices are going to stay elevated uh, for at least the next year. Looking past that, it, it's it's tougher to say. Where I'm more confident that energy prices for for multiple years will remain elevated. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, and adding to the malice, I would say, in the energy sector. Um, you mentioned the conflict in, in Ukraine. Um, right now we have a debate in Europe on whether to bring forward the plans uh, to make ourselves independent of, on, on, of Russian uh, energy resources. Um, and essentially that will be a very costly process since we don't have a lot of local natural uh, uh, gas resources, for example, uh, within the European Union. Uh, so this is another thing to, to consider when we look at the structural outlook for, for energy prices. Um, I also wanted to briefly touch upon another important data point that we got today when we're talking about the potential for demand destruction. You've mentioned that word a couple of times already today, Peter, because we had uh, the latest Michigan survey out asking consumers basically about expectations. And as far as I'm concerned, um, we need to go eight decades back to find as bad a number uh, from the Michigan survey. So what do you make of the consumer right now? Well, it's 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 a pretty 
shocking development at um, at where we are. You know, I, I, in my Bloomberg, so in this chart, you you go back to the fifties. Um, the, the stats I had in my Bloomberg goes back to nineteen seventy eight, and we've never seen uh, consumer confidence print this low. And obviously, we can all blame it on inflation. And um, like I said gasoline prices is something that people see every day. I keep in mind the Michigan Confidence Survey is done twice a month and it's done through the phone as opposed to the conference mm. survey where they mail you a questionnaire where you can do it online. Uh, so when they call you on the phone, it's done within the last couple of days. So it's a very timely measure. And you, you didn't need the survey to tell you that, that everyone's getting squeezed, but that it is being quantified to such an extent in the survey uh, is really disheartening. And this is really before we've seen any notable change in spending habits in totality. We're seeing changing in spending habits in terms of, of sectors that, okay, I'm spending less on, on the stuff I spent a lot on the last two years and I'm not building another deck in my backyard again and I'm not buying another exercise bike and you know I got plenty of, of, of clothes and that, I, that I've been wearing for the last two years and I need to buy, you know, clothes that I'm going to wear at work and so on and, and ship more to, to traveling and so on. But in the aggregate, the, tra the consumer trends have held up when you look at a total dollar value. But you have to assume when you see a 50 print in this confidence number that consumer spending across the board is, is on the cusp of slowing. And I was talking to somebody today asking me, when does the U.S. recession begin? And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's beginning right now uh, because mm. we're a consumer-led economy at the end of the day still, and, uh, and consumers obviously drive most of the global economy. So to think that we're going to be able to avoid a recession year, this year, I think, is, is quite the leap of faith. And then you throw in the decline in stock prices, which then affects those that are more insulated from inflation, consumer price inflation, they're more susceptible to a deflation of asset price inflation. Mm. And that's what we're now seeing as well. And uh, even if you know, they can afford that luxury house or that boat or that $30,000 vacation, when they see the value of their stock portfolio down 20%, uh, they may defer those decisions and think twice about making them. This brings us to the million dollar question. We've received a couple of questions, uh, for example, from John on the Real Vision side on the possibility of the Federal Reserve being very aggressive short term, but also pivoting long term or medium term. Uh, so first up, the short term question, is a 75 basis point hike a feasible scenario given the inflation report that we've had today? Well, I, I think when Powell uh, speaks next week, uh, they're going to raise 50 next week. They're not going 75 uh, because they, they like to telegraph. Uh, he'll say that, yeah, 75 is possible at the July meeting or the September meeting. But he'll also say that's not their base case. Because keep in mind that today's core CPI was just a tenth above expectations. It wasn't that far out of the realm of, of what, we, what at least they were thinking going into this. So... I don't think they're, that they're, they're going to shift to a 75 because at the end of the day, too, they're all a bunch of dubs. And yep. while they're now talking tough, they're still dubs. 
And I think that's why they aren't going to they aren't going to go the seventy five because they they're thinking to themselves, let's just get to that two percent plus, and then we can sort of see what's going on. And he's not going to commit to what he's going to do in September because I know he'll be asked it. That's three months away. He's focused on what he's going to do in June. He'll do the fifty in July, not the seventy five, which I guess is really related to the question, and mm. then see what happens in in September. Uh, again, because they're a bunch of doves and they're, they're still very sensitive to the economic impact of what they're doing. And it's clear that the Bank of England has gotten very sensitive to the economic impact, uh, certainly yeah. ECB. That's what's preventing all of them from, from, from getting aggressive with rates because they're all worried about all the leverage that they've created and the, 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 the economic impact of it. Uh, but in terms of follow up on that question about the pivot, the pivot may come not in the way it used to. The, the pivot previous to now is the Fed would tighten us into a recession and a bear market, and then they would start slashing rates. This time around, the pivot, because inflation is going to remain sticky, is not going to be them slashing rates. It's just stopping what they're doing yeah. in terms of the tightening. The extent at which they can then cut will obviously be determined by the inflation rate then, but it will still be elevated, limiting their ability to respond to an economic downturn. And that's why it's different this time. Yeah. Uh, and in relation to that, we have a great question from Joel uh, at the Real Vision side as well, uh, asking you, Peter, whether you think a recession slash a demand destruction will be sufficient to bring inflation down and to ease supply chain issues. Great question. Well, it'll certainly do some damage to the demand side. Uh, no question, because that's what monetary policy does. Monetary policy, when they ease, is encouraging you to borrow and pulls forward economic behavior, particularly in interest rate sensitive areas of the economy like housing and autos. Well, now they're going to deter the incentive to go buy a house and go buy a car and buy now and pay later for things. So that will definitely temper on the good side and and the inflation there on the server but th this takes time and it will take pain now on the supply side resolving itself well no one they're not they can't print we know they can't print oil and food and they certainly can't print semiconductors right now uh, as an example of something that is going to remain supply constrained they're not going to be able to print used cars over the next couple of years even though used car prices may may come off its its boil we've had multiple uh, last couple of years of limited new car uh, supply therefore limited new leases being signed we've had a dearth of rental car companies uh, a, a dearth of inventory for rental car companies to buy new cars so the the inventory of used cars is still going to be uh, pretty low over the next couple of years so the fed's not going to really be able to influence the supply side that much that's why this is all such a difficult thing for them to 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 manage through a bit of anecdotal evidence surrounding cars from my side. I just bought a new car in uh, in Denmark, um, and every single car manufacturer that I visited told me that a, an important part of the supply chain is parked in Ukraine. That is the, essentially the reason why we cannot get hold of, of, of a car in, in Europe right now, and it yeah, no, won't be sold car. anytime soon. Yeah, that they make <laughs> in Ukraine is a, a key missing part. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if we look forward to the next 
week, Peter, um, ahead of the Federal Reserve. Um, what are your thoughts about market sentiment ahead of that meeting? What do you, what would you be um, uh, listening to uh, at the press conference, etc.? I, I think I think for markets, you know, we 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 we've at least the short end of the curve. I know the two year closed today above three percent, but you know that that's still that's priced in a, a still a lot of rate hikes ahead. So. We're, we're just beginning QT. So in a way, I don't know if we're going to hear that much different commentary from Jay Powell. He's going to talk tough. I'm going to deal with inflation. He doesn't want to be the next Arthur Burns. And he's going to do whatever it takes with his tools. His tools, of course, being QT and, 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 and rate increases. I think the next real big catalyst for markets is going to be second quarter earnings reports in beginning the second, third week of July. Because at the end of the day, with respect to the stock market, we know it's multiples and earnings that drive where we go. We're seeing multiple compression. But what is amazing to me is that earnings estimates for the S&P 500 for 2022 are at the highest level of the year, approaching $230 per share. To me, that is in a, a number that's in la-la land. So I think we're going to get a good color look at, at, earn, at that number. I think we're going to see a clip to that number after uh, the sell side analysts listen to what companies have to say, because margin contraction is now a big story. And as the economy continues to slow, revenue contraction will also be a key story. And you combine that with what I think will be continued reduction in multiples you know, that's a difficult combination for markets. Yeah. So we have a recession coming up, both when it comes to earnings, but also in the broader economy by the end of the day. Correct. And rising interest rates, that also compresses multiples. Ultimately, the stock market will get that memo and sell off. I think that's the conclusion for, for today. I wanted to leave you with a slightly better mood than that. So, uh, Brian, please bring up a, uh, the meme that I, I tweeted a while ago because I've been in the camp of calling peak inflation for a few months in a row now. Um, I've been uh, amazingly wrong on that. I sincerely hope that it turns for the second half of the year because otherwise uh, it's tricky to imagine higher prices of, uh, of assets in the uh, meanwhile. Peter Bukwar, it was a pleasure to talk to you, um, and I, I hope that you uh, get a great weekend. Um, Thank you as well, and I do agree, the rate of change in the second half it, it will definitely slow. It's just a matter of what it slows to. Absolutely. Uh, I'm uh, Andreas Steno, uh, and you've been watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We will be back again on Monday with Jared Dillion. I wish you a great weekend all. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.